Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message. Thanks for tuning in today. Praise the Lord. I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Joshua, the sixth chapter. And that's where we're going to, actually, our text will be this morning. But before we get there, I'm going to start out by simply talking about a subject that is famous in America today. And that's the subject of sports. Sports is a huge part today in the American culture. And and it, it involves two important themes, competing and winning. Say competing and winning. Amen. God put these very two things in the spiritual DNA of every human being that's ever born, competing and winning. So what that tells me is that God, from the very beginning of time, wanted his people to win in life. Say this out loud. God's will for me is to win in life. It really is. It's for you to have victory. Every one of us have felt the pains of of defeat, the pains of loss, and there's no greater joy than to experience uh, victory in our lives in every area. In fact, no matter the odds that were stacked against the children of Israel, when they walked with God, when they walked with God, they always got the victory on the field of competition. Always. They never lost, no matter how great the odds were against them. Winning has always been in the plan of God, which is why Jesus came into our world and went to the cross. The Bible says in Colossians 2, it says, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Amplified says, who gives us the victory, making us conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 4, for whatsoever is born of God, and let me just say, I added this because it just came into my mind. Whatsoever is born of God, not whosoever, but whatsoever is born of God. What he's, what he's saying there is that, that um, whatever God gives birth to, whatever God gives birth to, and in that context of that scripture in 1 John, it's, it's literally love. That's what he's talking about. Whatsoever is born of God, whatever God gives birth to, overcomes the world. That word overcome means conquers, prevails, and gets the victory over. Somebody shout amen. amen. And, and this is the victory. That word means, that, that, that means that it's the means of success. This is the means of success that overcomes the world, even our faith. I mean, God, think about success. How many want to be successful in life? And I'm not, God really wants you to be successful in life. Now, it's not easy. Some don't attain to it. But God wants, listen, listen, let me say this. Success for sometimes Americans means a lot of money, a big home, and a nice car. But how many agree to a man who's sick? Success is having healing flowing in his body. Can I have an amen? That's success. So success doesn't naturally mean some financial, but God wants you to succeed. He wants you to succeed in your relationships, in your marriage, in raising your children, and in business. Can I have an amen to that? He really does. This is the victory that overcomes the world of our faith. God told Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, Mean, meaning you never stop speaking it. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night so that you can observe to do all that's written therein. How many agree that it's, it's easy to hear the word of God? It's another thing to do the word of God. That you may observe to do all that's written therein, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. Amen. So God... His will was always for you to succeed. In fact, when Israel walked with God, they succeeded in everything they did. Hallelujah. They went into a land that was just filled with rocks. 
And God blessed that land, hallelujah. He blessed that land so that it produced when in the natural it shouldn't. Amen? I mean, your life may be a pile of rocks, but when God rains his spirit upon your heart, hallelujah, it begins to grow his nature and you become Christ-like in an unchrist-like world. Somebody shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. Whatsoever is born of God, whatever God gives birth to overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The Apostle Paul in the first century literally uses the sports lingo to define the Christian life. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race, there it is, all the runners compete? See, as Christians, you are participating in a spiritual race, whether you like it or not, so you might as well run so that you win. Shout amen to that. You might as well run so that you can win. He goes on and says this. Um, uh, well, he says this. Um, let me add this. Since we have a coach who competed for the title and won overwhelmingly, he's put together a playbook, listen, that holds all the secret plays for a winning life. And that, of course, is the Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. In Ephesians 6, Paul reveals who we're competing against. And again, he used the sports lingo. He says, we are, for we wrestle, there it is, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And you will never pin the devil down with human reason, with your own intellect, or by your human ability, never. You'll never tie him down because he's a spirit being. But you'll defeat him only by the Spirit of God, who is your conditioning coach, and by the Word of God, which is your spiritual playbook. And everybody say amen. amen. He goes on, says, do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? Now, he's not talking, okay, why, why should I even run if only one's going to receive the prize? He's not talking about that. He's saying that when you run your race, you will receive the prize. You will receive the prize. I asked the question because I couldn't remember what that's called. But in a relay race, there's more than one runner. They may have six runners. They may have eight runners. I don't know how many there are. But everybody's expected to run their very hardest and their best. Why? Because they know that as a team, they're going to receive the prize if they win. Can I have an Amen. So you got to at least be willing to run if you want to win. Um, if you want to win in life, you got to be willing to run if you want to receive the prize that God has for you. Amen. He goes on and says, um, but only one receives the prize. So run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Now, every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. Now, they do it. The world does it to win a wreath uh, that will soon wither, but we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that cannot wither. Any believer, any, any of us who expects to receive this crown of eternal blessedness must be willing, the Bible says, must be willing to restrict himself, uh, uh, to conduct himself temporarily and restrict himself in all things. Which means when, you, when, when you're on God's team, faith in and obedience to the coach is crucial to the outcome. I mean, I think, and this, let me say this, because I'm just as guilty as the rest of you. See, we think sometimes we can say what we want to say, think what we want to think and do what we want to do, and God still blesses us because he's just a sweet, goody-goody God that overlooks all of our disobedience and empowers us to win. He doesn't do that. I mean, the world knows that. Isn't that funny about the world's competition, especially in the Olympics? I mean, 
there's people that they sell out, they completely sell out everything, their entire lives, so that to attain to that gold. And, 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 and they can do their very best and, and lose by one thousandth of a second and come in second place. But guess what? They're willing to pay the price. They're willing to pay the price. And so they do it. How much more should we be willing to pay the price to fulfill the will of God and have God bless us with a, an eternal reward? Can I have an amen? amen? Now, in Joshua, the sixth chapter, God gave him a plan to take a city by the name of Jericho, which was the first city of the 30 cities that they would ultimately conquer within the borders of Israel. So Jericho stood between them and the promise of God. There's always going to be an enemy stand between you and the promises of God for your life. Always an enemy. And that enemy will always be greater than you, always be stronger than you, always be bigger than you. Always. But that's where you rely on your coach, the owner of the team. Can I have an amen? That's why you rely on the Spirit of God, who's the conditioning coach, and the Word of God, which will instruct you, the playbook for your life. God knows how to win in life. Can I have an amen? And so Joshua received the play from God, and then he takes the play and gives it to his, to his um, uh, competitors. Let's read Joshua, the sixth chapter, and we'll read verse 1. Let's see the story. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And I just want you to know this. When this is written, this is written 40 years after Jer God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. For 40 years, this city was waiting to be defeated. For 40 years, they lived in fear that someone was coming called God's people. So great a God that he would, that he would, he would display his glory with 10 great attacks against their gods. And then he'd be so great that he would split the Red Sea so the children of Israel could dry and grow land, uh, dry, come over and dry land. So great that the waters would come back over and destroy the army of, uh, the, of Pharaoh. So great. And they trembled waiting for 40 years to be conquered. So Israel could have went in and conquered that, you know, right away. But guess what? An evil report, bad news paralyzed them. Listen, we are, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, man, God's just really been just really convicting me lately about listening to bad news. Because I don't care who, what news media, it's all bad news. And it doesn't, and look, the only thing that we're called to do, two things, we're called to pray, and then we're called to stay in the word of God and trust God for the outcome. Can I have an Amen. That's what we're doing. We're called to do that. We have to do that because we don't know. We know everything in the natural. It's just being shaken to pieces. But God's word will never be shaken. And so let's read on. So the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I've given into thine hand Jericho. I've given it in your hand. I want you to see it. Focus, he says. I've given thine hand, uh, into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the city. So he gives him the plan. He said, I want the Ark of the Covenant, which is God's presence, to go before the army. And I want you to march around the city for seven days, once uh, every seven days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. And uh, once you get that seventh time, the, the priests are going to blow the trumpet. And the moment you hear it, I want everybody to shout. Ah! Do that. 
That's awesome, man. Now do it like you really mean it. <laughs> you had to have one who up here. No, they shouted. That's all. God didn't say, I want you to quote Psalms. He didn't say, you know, I want you to quote the Pentateuch. He didn't say anything. He said, just shout. And so they shouted, ah! Do that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you just scared the Hades out of the devil. Hallelujah. I'm telling you. And when they did that, something supernatural took place. I mean, God got involved at that time. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything to defeat that city. It was a, it was a massive walled city. Uh, There's no way they could penetrate it, penetrate it. No way they could conquer it except with God. Say, God had a plan. He did. He, he, he took a plan out of his playbook and gave it to Joshua. Joshua gave it to the children of Israel. And listen, listen, they believed it and obeyed it. In fact, one point he says, I, Joshua said in those seven days, I don't want you Israelites to speak one word. Not one. I don't want one word to come out. Of, not one word to come out of your mouth. That's a miracle. Seven days to shut up. Because he knew if he'd let one word come out, it would be, I don't know, I just don't think this is going to work. So he did. He had him shut up, and that was it. God did the rest. I said, God did the rest. Amen. Let's read verse 16. The Bible says, And it came to pass at the seventh time, and the priest blew the trumpets, uh, Joshua said to the people, Shout, and the Lord, um, the, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city shall be, verse 17, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we, that we sent in. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you be yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse. Are you getting the picture? So the tie, Jericho was the first city of the 30 cities they conquered. So Jericho was the tithe. Jericho was the tithe. You young kids need to learn this early on. Early on. Early on. Early on. I said early on. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I had somebody come to me one day many, many years ago and said, Pastor, I have a check for, for you. Just, I mean, just, I mean, just got paid. I, he was so broke, he couldn't pay attention. And... Um, get that later. I mean, broke, but he gave this and he gave it to me and said, here, pastor, here, here, here's this check. And I want you to enter into covenant with me and I'll enter into covenant with you. And I'm going to believe that, that this business that I've started and you have nothing and you have nothing and, uh, and that God's going to prosper it. Praise God. And so we prayed together, but this is the important key. It's easy for me to keep the covenant. It was another thing for him to keep the covenant. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm the pastor, so I could agree. Come on, help me out. Wouldn't you agree? It's easier for you to agree with someone else and for you to make the commitment for you to stay with it. Thank you. I appreciate that. But he, through, for all these many, many years, he's honored that covenant. And God has prospered him immensely because of that. And I'm just simply saying to you, I'm saying God will honor his word if you will honor his word, praise God. And he will change that which is impossible and make it possible for you if you'll believe and obey. Can I have an amen? So, the, the, so verse 24, um, so you can see it was a curse. It was the tie that was the accursed thing. Verse 24. And the Bible says, the children of Israel burnt the city with fire. 
And all that was there, and only the silver and the gold, the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Amen. So and I'm not going to go through this, I don't have time, but in chapter 7, uh, Joshua carries out an order, says, I want you to go to Ai, a small king who just has a few people, take 3,000 soldiers, go in there and conquer that city, which is the next city uh, between them and the promised land. So they go in there, er, bet between them and all the blessings in that promised land. So they go in there, and all of a sudden, they are running wide open the opposite direction. And, they, and Israel lost 30 soldiers. And Joshua was just so shook up, he could not believe what just happened. What is going on? And so he goes before God and he prays. And the Lord said unto Joshua, verse 10, get up. Why do you lay thou upon your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and disassembled also. They put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. I'm just simply saying, man, all the enemies that you face in life, you're not, in life, you're not able to conquer any of them on your own. Not any of them. And so... There was a curse in the camp, meaning somebody, you know, the kid, a young man by the name of Achan, he had a wife and children, and he, all he saw, he saw some of the gold that was there in the treasury, uh, that, was, uh, that was there to put in the treasury. He just took a little idol and just a few, uh, just a small few items, stuck them under his tent and said, ah, nobody's going to know about this, it's fine. It, wh what's the big deal? I mean, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? I mean, if, if it is true, and they say 85% of the church in America doesn't tithe, if, what's the big deal? The big deal is that the more that don't tithe, the less God can get done. I mean, I mean, come on, wake up. The world is so much smarter than us. I mean, Miller Light, Bud Light, and all the other lights, they spend millions of dollars, listen, listen, Millions of dollars on advertising for this one purpose is to get a convert. To get a convert. Are you out there? To get a convert. That's, I mean, if I'm going to change from Bud Light to Brother Miller, you're going to have to convince me that Miller is better. And so I, I advertise and advertise and advertise and advertise. Finally, it's, my goodness, I've got to try Miller. I mean, it sounds so good. It's light, whatever that means. <laughs> and all of a sudden, because of the seduction of the constant advertising, they win you over. And here are we at the church. Well, I can't believe we're spending $3,000 a month on advertising. That's just plain stupid. No, I'm serious. I think we could do better with the money around. And people don't realize our calling is to be a light to the world. Amen? It, it really is. That's our calling. And so God, so God wants you to participate in that. He wants you to receive your eternal reward. He wants your life blessed, listen, on this side of heaven as much as he wants it on the other side of heaven. But you've got to go by the playbook. So the Bible says that, I, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but uh, sure enough, Joshua, he brought all the people together. And, and in verse 19, Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to God of Israel. Make, make your confession unto him. Tell me now that what, what you've done, hide it not from me. And Achan answered and said, Joshua, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And, and when I saw among the spoils uh, a, go, a goodly ba ba Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold of 50 shekels, I coveted them. And what was so sad about that whole story is that God wanted him to enjoy, listen, all the spoils that they would get in the land of promise with all the other warriors, all the other team players. He wanted, he wanted AI to be blessed beyond anything he could ever imagine. But see, when you covet the little things, you'll covet the big things. So that's why it's so important that you learn how to obey God, that when God says, bring your tithes to the storehouse, that that's something that is not a question. It's not a, because God would be absolutely unrighteous to tell you to bring a tithe and then not provide it. Unrighteous. Is God unrighteous? Mm -mm, he isn't. He isn't. We are the ones that have to believe his word and obey it. Amen. I'm going to see if I'm, yeah, I'm down here. So the tragedy of that whole story is this. They had the playbook, handed them from God. God gave them the play. They carried it out. But just one, one player messed up. One player refused to be obedient all the way through. Not, and it, listen, it not only cost him his life, it cost him his entire family's life. They all lost their lives because of that. Well, anyway, they did rebound. I mean, it cost uh, them, um, you know, uh, lives. Uh, it, it was deadly. Soldiers lost their lives, but they did rebound. Now, there have been many athletes, listen to this, both past and present, who were gifted with all the talent to be superstars. Yet because they lacked discipline, refused to take control of their pride, they hated authority because of their poor choices, they wouldn't accept responsibility for their actions, they never reached their full potential in the game of whatever it is. Today we'll talk about football. And, and yet actually many of them were cut from the team. I remember Randy Moss. He could have been, he, Randy Moss could have been the, Randy Moss could have been the greatest, uh, I mean, the greatest wide receiver ever in the history of football. Now, he was one of the great ones, but he could have been the greatest if he'd have been a team player. But guess what? He knows now, he knows now that it could have been better. But you don't have to alert. All you have to do is study the behavior of other people and say, I'm not going to go there. Right? I'm not going to be that way. I'm not going to be disobedient, you know. My mom and dad, they didn't know tithing they, because the preacher didn't teach it. You don't talk about money in church. So they didn't tithe. I remember dad would give it like a buck. You know, he'd give a dollar every, every week, you know. And I'm telling you, man, we struggled. We struggled. Got, uh, you know, in, in the midst of all this, because, you know, mom worked a lot. You know, dad worked a lot, but, you know, had alcoholism as a problem in his life, you know. Uh, they could have been far more blessed if they'd have tapped in to the law of seed time and harvest. Amen? But they weren't able to. The Bible says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And, of course, that was the case there. But I remember once in a while, he'd give five bucks. I thought, my goodness, he just about gave the bank away. Five bucks. <laughs> Amen. He didn't know. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 9. But how many Christians in the church's history of 2,000 years have never reached their full potential spiritually because of that same attitude in their lives. 1 Corinthians 9, 
Paul goes on, he says, all good athletes train hard. Now they do it for a, good, a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. Verse 26 of the Amplified, therefore I do not run and certainly without definite aim. Paul simply, he said, I'm making it very clear. My goal is very clear. I'm going to run this race. Uh, uh, I'm going to run this race, keep my eye on the goal, uh, no matter how long it takes. And for us, that would be till we take our last breath or till the rapture takes place. Can I have an amen to that? He goes on, he says, I do not box. There's another term for competing. I do not box like one beating the air and striking without an adversary, but like a boxer, I buffet. It didn't say buffet. I buffet my body. I handle it with roughly. I discipline it with hardships and subdue it. That word means enslave it for fear that proclaiming, after proclaiming to others the gospel and the things pertaining to it, I myself should become unfit. Un unfit, becoming unfit means that you were fit at one time. I should become unfit, not stand the test, be unapproved and rejected as a counterfeit. You know what a counterfeit is? Counterfeit is something that's not real. And the only way you know it's not real, by a couple of ways. I mean, I remember in the old cowboy days, you used to take a coin and bite it to make sure that it was a real gold, you know, because I guess it's a softer material. Another way that you get up close to it and study, study it, and as you study it, you realize that it isn't what it was said it was. And that's what we don't want in our lives. We don't want to be counterfeits. We don't want to be fakes. We want, to, we want to be able to be people that really do carry on the presence of God in our lives. Again, if you agree, say amen. amen. Do you know why most players, listen to this, do you know why most players, when they're injured, they play through the pain? The reason they do is because they know on the sidelines there's overzealous, zealous, talented kids that are, so ready to get into the game. And if people who play, pay through, the reason they play through the pain is because they know that if they're taken out of the game, it's possible they won't get back in. Isn't that right? It's true. So they play through the pain. And that's absolutely true in the Christian life. To stay in the game, you've got to play through the pain. If Achan would have just played through the pain of overcoming greed by exalting God's word above his own, he would have enjoyed all the spoils that the rest of them ultimately did enjoy it, but he didn't, and the end was disastrous. I wonder how many Christians in the 21st century alone weren't willing to play, pay through, play through the pain, the pain of rebuke, correction, adversity, hardships, setbacks, losses, offenses, etc. And not only are they not on the sidelines, they've quit competing spiritually altogether. Say, that's not me. Amen. But it happens. We don't want to be there. Now, in all sports, there are owners, there are managers, and coaches, but it's the players who are under contract to compete in the game. The players are. Amen. And how well they listen to the coach and carry out the plays in, in that spirit of unity, in, in that spirit of understanding, will determine the outcome most of the time of the game. Amen. And their ultimate goal, of course, is for the NFL would be to receive the... Um, uh, What's that called? The um, Lombard Trophy. That's our ultimate goal because with the Lombard Trophy comes prestige, accolades, prosperity for the whole team, including the owners, the coaches, and the players. Everybody gets blessed, but it's the team. It's the guys out there that are beating their bodies that are ones that are going to determine the outcome of that game. Well, it's the same in the body of Christ. Can I have an amen? You got to be willing to, I mean, be willing to be disciplined 
uh, to be obedient to the Word of God, to go to the playbook, find out what the Word of God says about how you're supposed to act in life, how you're supposed to talk in life, how you're supposed to live your life. You go to the playbook. You, you believe the coach and what he says to you. Then God will begin to bless your life. Now listen, regarding the NFL, though there are 32 team, uh, team coaches and they may all have different playbooks, all the plays are about the same. They're, they're all, I mean, there's not too many new plays that they haven't, they haven't gained from the college uh, uh, to the NFL. It's basically the same plays. And it's the responsibility of every player to study the playbook so that when a play is called, number one, he knows what it is, and he's positioned himself to be ready to do the best he can do, praise God, when that play is called so that that specific play uh, succeeds. And that reminded me of 2 Timothy 2. I'm winding down here. It says, remind the people of these facts and solemnly charge them in the presence of the Lord to avoid petty controversy over words, watch this, which does no good but upsets and undermines the faith of the hearers. Man, we got to be careful what we say. Study, Paul says, Timothy, you studied and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God, approved and tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. But avoid all empty, vain, useless, idle talk, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So whatever you're facing today, no matter how impossible victory may seem, you got to stay with the playbook and you'll come through victorious. Now, I didn't play that to torment you, some of you guys. Because if you've been a Viking fan for a long time like I have since 1961, there have been far more plays like that against us than there have been for us. Far more. Uh, well, but in meaning every team has had that kind of miracle. Every team. Where it looks like there's no way, there's no way that we can win there. There's no way. In fact, when we were watching that game, my family knows this, I went upstairs to, to put dishes uh, in the dishwasher because I didn't want to see the Vikings lose. And they're screaming and hollering downstairs. They're going nuts. I thought, what in the world happened? You can't win with 10 seconds left. It's impossible. See, in this game called life, God will always give you enough time. Enough time on the spiritual clock if you'll just take, stay with him. Trust him that he can get you through whatever you got to get through and bring you up victorious on the other side. Can I have an amen? amen. You got to trust him. But I mean, I just love that. I mean, yes, of course, it's Vikings. That's why I played it. Um, but the fact is, it, it's a, I just simply wanted to show you that. I mean, they, they called it, what, the, the miracle in Minneapolis or whatever. Not, it's not a miracle that we understand a miracle, but it's a miracle in the sense of those wanting to win won. And that's the same with you. God wants you to win. Say, God wants me to win in life. He really does. He really does. No matter what it looks like in the natural, God has given you his word that cannot fail. We just have to keep trusting in it. A couple more scriptures to just encourage you, and then we'll close. Listen, Solomon, the wisest, the richest, and the most successful human being in history, 
would have made Bill Gates look like a pauper. Above everything else, he wanted his son to pursue godly wisdom. For Solomon knew that God's wisdom held the keys to a long, blessed, and prosperous life. And so he shares in Proverbs 3 the two kinds of wisdom, which ultimately determines the quality of your life. Here it is. My son, do not despise or shrink from the chastening of the Lord, his correction. I, I thought this was interesting. His correction by punishment or by subject, subjection to suffering or trial. Now, that's not popular. In many churches today, that's not popular. It's not popular to say that God will chasten you through hardship and trials. That's not popular. Because, you know, God would never do it. Hey, any good father, I raised three children. And a good father and a good mother, she disciplined more than I did. But a good father and a good mother, they love their children so much, they want to discipline them so that their children won't grow up and embarrass them. That's why they do it. They discipline them. And so God loves us. He wants us to be the best that we can be. And so to do that, he will discipline us if need be. And guess what? I want that in my life. Just me and three others. Praise the Lord. <laughs> His correction by punishment or by subjection to suffering or trial, neither be, neither be worry or, or of or impatient about or loath or abhor his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father corrects a son in whom he delights. Write this down. To be a great competitor on God's team, subjection to suffering and patience will always be required. No, I'm, no, you, no. God don't cause car accidents. Don't God, God don't give you cancer. That's not the kind of suffering we're talking about. It means that, that your life becomes so miserable that you are willing to subject to his will over anything else. I don't care if it's loving, forgiving, being patient, long-suffering, whatever it takes, God wants you to get better. He wants you to be better. He wants you to win. Can I have an amen? So, to be a great competitor on God's team, subjection to suffering and patience will always be required. Happy, woo, blessed, fortunate, enviable is the man who finds skillful and godly wisdom and the man who gets understanding. Watch this. Drawing it forth from God's word, there's the playbook, and life's experiences. For the gaining of godly wisdom is better than the gaining of silver, and the profit is, uh, of it is better than fine gold. It really is. Why, why is it better? Because when you have godly wisdom, no matter what you have in your hand, you have it. It will never have you. You'll have it. It won't have you. It goes on. Skillful and godly wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can wish for is to be cared, compared to her. Length, watch this, length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are highways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold on her, and happy, blessed, fortunate to be envied is everyone who holds her fast. So God knows. He does know that success in life, a long and blessed marriage, Making the right decisions to all of life's complexities is found in only one place. The word of God, watch this, which always reveals the wisdom of God. And write this down. He who created everything has the answers for everything. God created you. He has the answers for everything about your life. God is not disappointed in you because of your physical makeup. He's not disappointed in you when you chip up a mess. 
What he's disappointed in is when you don't get back up and calling him for help. See, we all of us, we get trapped by thinking, okay, if we get right, then we'll get God's attention. See, that's why even people come forward to the altar. They don't come forward to the altar and celebrate because they got everything right. They come to the altar and celebrate because they're trusting the one who can make everything right. <laughs> that music this morning was tremendous. Because what it does is get, it gets you hopefully involved in exalting the one that can bring you out and get you the victory. Can I have an amen? That's the one. He's not, he's not here today working against you. Well, that guy gets it together. Someday I'll, I'll bless him if he can just get. No, just come to God in your brokenness and say, God, I need you. I need your help. Help me. And God will be there to help you. That's like any son that comes to a father, the father who loves that son. And the son says, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I'm just so messed up. Would you please help me? Daddy would always be, unless he's a dork. Dad will always be there. My kids can come to me anytime. Mom and I will always be there. But we won't always be pleased. I mean, we won't be pleased with them if they're, they're, if they're persisting and walking contrary to God's word. God wants, God, God is our father. He wants us to honor his word. Can I have an amen? amen. He who created everything has the answers for everything. All right, this is it. I know it went along, but this is my last verse. This is in James 3. Would you put that up there? Now, if you are wise, say, I want to be wise. If you are wise, live a life of steady goodness so that only good deeds will pour forth. And if you don't brag about them, then you'll be truly wise. And by all means, don't brag about being wise and good if you are bitter and jealous and selfish. There's the counterfeit. That is the worst sort of evil. For wherever there is jealousy or selfish ambition, there will always be disorder and every other kind of evil. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. There's no ulterior motives. It's full of quiet gentleness. Then it, the, the wisdom of God, is peace-loving, and it's courteous. It allows discussion and is willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It is wholehearted and straightforward and sincere. And those who are peacemakers, not strife creators, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. Everyone say amen. amen. Bow your head. I want to pray for you today. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy One. A wise, I just want to say this, a wise sinner, a wise sinner is a sinner who recognizes his need for God. That's a wise man. A fool is one who hears the word of God, but his pride, he allows his pride to overshadow the truth that God has provided the truth that makes him free. So I don't want you to be a fool today. I want you to be wise. Please bow your head. I want to pray for you. Let's all stand for a moment. We'll stretch and, and uh, you've been sitting long enough. And thank you for giving me the time to get this out. Now I'm serious about this. God wants you to be victorious. He really does. He really does. He wants you to win in life. 
He wants you to win in every area of your life. There's no such thing for a Christian to be born on the wrong side of the tracks. No such thing for a Christian to be born on the wrong side of the tracks. When you're a Christian, you're reborn on the right side of the tracks. That means God puts you in a position to conquer all the evils that conquered you, to overcome all the things that tied you up as a young person. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.